Check, check, check. Whoa, what's up, everybody? How you guys doing tonight? Boom. It's good to be back. How many of you guys, what's the score? 21-21, hail the pitch, let's go, all right. All right, I can't take, I can't take any more updates, though. I, you know what I mean? I'm in the moment here. Guys, it has been so much fun hanging out with you guys. I actually had a voice up until dancing, and then boom, done. That was it, over, screaming, shouting, going crazy. Um, but I have loved this weekend. I can't believe we're already at the last night. It feels like it just got started. Uh, I also want to say shout out to all of you for just making me and my wife feel so at home. I love Laurelville. You already know I'm about to be back next year. I love you guys so much, so thank you. Thank you. Now, yeah, 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 okay. Oh, okay. I saw something that I want to address during dancing. I saw some young men and some young women here in the room making eyes at one another. I did. I did. I said, oh, is it about to go down? Because nothing says steamy and sexy like the church clap. Can I get an amen, right? <laughs> Lecrae. Oh, come on, baby. So that got me thinking, and I was like, you know, I got to be honest about this for a second. I have to admit, I met my wife at church camp, baby. Hey, yo. Hey, yo. Okay, that's the truth. So, so here's my conclusion. I see some of y'all real excited about that. You're like, did it? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's facts. So here it is. Ready? You have permission. You can get their Insta. You can get their digits. But, but, no, of course, no purpling. That's out of the question. Save hand-holding for marriage. Amen? Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. But don't be weird. Don't be creepy. Turn to someone beside you and say, don't be weird. Why are people so weird, dude? Why? Hey, yo, take me out to dinner, right? It's like, no, dude, get out of here with that. I can't stand that crap. All right, listen, yo, don't make a move till college. If you make a move beforehand, I know you're going to mess it up. You're going to fumble the bag. I'm just telling you. So I waited till college, then I slid in the DS. You already know, okay? So hold up, chill. You got a couple of years. Yo, that's another story. Yo, okay, what y'all doing after cabin time tonight? We can sit around the fire. Got story time with your boy, the Jor. All right, listen, how many of you guys got real muddy today? I saw some of y'all getting real, not like a little bit muddy, real muddy. How many of you guys got hosed down? You straight up, there were people like just hosing you guys down. I was like, what is this? Where are we? Love it. So I was thinking, and, and I wanted to tell before I got started today, my favorite story about me in the mud, okay? This is my best mud story, and it is a true story. So a long time ago, some of y'all might remember this just because you were little kids, but a long time ago, anyone ever been to North Park, the lake, North Park? Wave at me if you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Are we, are we applauding for North Park? Yeah, that's the best lake. Y'all need sleep. I can tell. Yeah, North Park. Okay. Yeah. All right. Great. Good. Then this story's going to just take off. I'm excited. 
So North Park, a long time ago, actually was at a bad spot where the fish were dying so much because the lake had become super muddy and filled with way too much goose poop. This is a true story. So actually for one year, one season, they actually did what was called dredge the lake. Now, if you don't know what dredging is, I didn't either. They basically drain it all the way down to it's totally solid ground, okay? And so it's, you can literally walk, you could at this time, walk across North Park. And it wasn't just mud, it was like goose poop mud, you know what I mean? Like, like you smell like this is not normal mud, like it's stanky, it's gross, okay. But it was in the wintertime when this story took place, probably around November or maybe even early December, so like kind of like this weather. And my buddy was hosting a 5K, Now, I'm not going to lie, I did not want to run the 5K, so I found four other friends that were lazy and didn't want to run the 5K. Any non-runners out here, let me get a, oh yeah, thank you. I I knew I had my people here, right? So 5K comes, they're like, runners, three, two, one, go. And I'm like, yeah, I'm walking, (laughs) okay? So me and my bros, we're walking, and we get this idea. We're like, dude, the lake is dredged. It's totally dry ground. We should just, like, walk for, like, a mile, but I'm not trying to walk all five. How lazy can you get, by the way? Like, I don't even want to walk five miles. So we decide that we'll cut across it. Cut right across the middle. Sounds like a good idea. So we go, and it's kind of cool. I'll be honest. I've never experienced anything like it. You're literally walking where North Park Lake should be. And actually, we came to the very center, and there was one pretty solid stream still flowing. It actually went all the way through the middle. It was the only running water through North Park. The rest was all dry ground, right? And actually, there was a pretty big chasm that you needed to jump over to get from one half to the other. No problem so far. But we're looking, and you know what I'm talking about? Like, it it could kind of be a far distance, so you're trying to find a spot that you can maybe go and jump over because there's rushing water. I mean, I guess I could have made it if I would have, like, you know, and then latch it on. But I was looking for an easy jump. And we eventually found just one spot, the only spot we thought we could clear. So, you know, a couple of us go at a time. Boom, we jump over, we land. All right, it's a fine jump. Here we go. And the last dude that's about to go, he's kind of a bigger dude, so he takes a running start. One, two, three, roll. Boom, and when he hits the ground, like in a movie, you start to see the floor fissure around him. Like that, like I've never seen anything like it. We're like, oh shoot. So we grab him, we pull him real quick, and this big chunk of land goes, boom, falls over into the water, swept away. We're like, sheesh, that was kind of close. And we realize now we are on one half of the lake. And there is no turning back, okay? It's like, oh, well, we ain't going back that way. We already couldn't find a spot, so here we are. We're walking, we're hanging out, and we start to realize that the mud on this half of the lake is a little bit more, I don't know, muddy. It's a little more sticky. We're like, eh, I don't want to get my shoes messed up. So we're like, eh, let's not go this way. And eh, let's not go this way. Oh, let's try here. And then it happened. Happened first to my buddy Sam. Sam's walking all confident, and all of a sudden, his foot goes like this far in the mud. And we're like, <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, my shoes. And he pulls his foot out of the mud. And what is it? It's not just like mud. Do you know what I'm talking about when the mud is like kind of clay-like? It's almost like a brown mud, and you can't even, even if you got it down like that, it wouldn't totally come out. We're like, oh, that sucks, dude. Oh, and he's like, dang it. And we keep going. Then it happened to my other friend, Brandon. 
Brandon goes right to his knee. He's like, oh, shoot. He's like, okay, we can't go there. We're like, okay, we can't go there. We can't go there. Okay, where are we going to go? Then third happened to me. I'm walking all of a sudden, my leg down to here in the mud. Now, here's where I start to get freaked out because I'm halfway down. I'm like, oh, and I can feel it sucking down my shoe. I'm like, oh man. And I put my hands down to try and, you know, push myself up and my hands start to go down. I'm like, oh, 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 oh. So now my hands are covered in mud. I'm like, guys, guys, guys. And I look around and all my friends are spread out. Why did we spread out? Why did we do this to ourselves? And I look and I realize all my friends are starting to get stuck. One of my buddies was in his waist going like this. Ah, 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 and I'm like, oh no, oh no, ah, and we're all screaming. Okay, imagine just being a runner at North Park, and you see all of us like, help, ah, like, by the way, why did no one stop? We were like pretending we were very much stuck in the mud, okay, so I eventually pull myself out. Let me just be clear, there is no more like, I want to protect my shoes, I'm like, I want to live, okay? That's all I want to do. And I'm actually panicked. Actually, one of my buddies, I remember him going, it's got my shoe. Like, it's like a monster or something. It's got my shoe. And he pulled out. His shoe was like in North Park, gone forever. And I get this idea. Here's my idea. Maybe like if it's like water, except not. If I run as fast as I can, maybe there's not enough time for the mud to kind of get me. No joke. This is what goes through your mind. And I'm like, all right, I got this. I literally said, he's a runner. He's a track star. Okay, here we go. Ready? Uh, yeah! And I start booking it. And it actually starts to work. Bam, bam, bam. And I feel the mud going, almost got him. Almost got him. Almost got him. Like three times in a row until eventually I go, bam. And I fall and I am halfway in the mud. I am just half of Jordan now in the mud going, ah, and it's terrifying. Literally, can I tell you what I resolved to do? This is the only way I could do it. I decide I'm just dragging myself. So I go, ah, yeah, and I look, and that's a strategy we all have employed. I'm going to just demonstrate this. I'm down on the ground going, help me, God. I'll never sin again. Help me, Lord. I promise if you get me out of this, just crawling our way. Okay, Eventually, with all ratchetness that you can imagine, we crawl our decrepit bodies, make it out of North Park, and we get out. Two of us are missing shoes. All of us are, like, not recognizable. We're, like, panting, like... Looking at each other, and we still have to walk the other half of the freaking race, and we're cold as crap. Dude, you should have seen. We're walking. We look like a zombie gang, just like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what happened either. People were running like, what the frick happened to these dudes? When we came back, everybody's like, yeah, happy 5K. They're eating donuts. They're taking pictures. We come in like a bunch of wounded warriors, like, we're here. People are like, what the heck happened to you? Okay, so I've got a little PTSD. Some of you were like, why didn't you get in the mud? Because I've seen things, okay? I can never. Uh, it's a true story. All right, all right. Why do I tell that story? Well, one, because it's mud camp, so it's like awesome. Two, because it's a ratchet story, and I like telling it. But three, 
I'm talking tonight about this idea of being stuck. Turn to somebody and say, stuck. Okay, stuck. Tonight, ah, the graphic's up there. That's kind of cool. Stuck. Let me pull this up. Tonight, I want to address something that comes from my heart. As a matter of fact, today when I was praying for this, I actually, you know, I normally like to review my notes. But tonight, I felt particularly like I was just supposed to share from here, okay? Because I think there is something that holds students stuck more than North Park dredged mud. And that is shame. I think that shame, specifically shame, is one of the things that keeps students stuck more than anything else that I've ever seen. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by shame specifically keeping us stuck? Well, I think we can put on a good face. We can act like we've got it all together. But if we're honest, I think there's a lot of us in this room that do not like the person we've become. That when we think about who we really are, when we lay our head on the pillow and you actually acknowledge the things that you think about and that you do that no one else knows that you certainly wouldn't tell anyone, there's a lot of us at least, at least this was me, that we don't like the person that we've become. We, we don't like who we are. And shame holds us back more than almost anything else. For some of us, it just hangs over our head. Like almost everywhere we go, like a cloud following us. And even when we're having fun, I think we know deep down inside, I have done things that I never want to tell anyone about. I think about things if people knew the real me, and it it hangs over our head. For some of us, it isn't quite like that, but it just kind of quietly guides us. It's actually influencing the way that we make decisions, the friends that we choose, because we've got so much shame about who we are. I don't even want to go to youth group anymore. Honestly, I didn't even want to come to this camp. When I started thinking about being in church, I mean, I've been to Laurelville before, but when I started thinking about coming again, just it didn't feel right to me. And that shame quietly guiding us, whatever it is, I think we all deal with shame. But here's what I want to say today. I believe that shame is fake. It's fake. Your conservative mother on Facebook would say, it's fake news, okay? Shame is not real. How can I say that? What, what can make me say that shame isn't real? Here's what it is. It's a cheap tactic used by the devil to keep you stuck in place. Shame is a cheap tactic that the devil uses. You want to know why? Because it's not actually a projection of where you are. It's old information relayed over and over and over again as if it is the future. And some of you have been thinking about decisions you made two or three years ago over and over. Let me just talk about the devil real quick. I got to get this out. The devil is very real. He's not some fake dude, red, little pitchfork, pokey in the butt. You know, okay, that's not who he is. Let me tell you who he is because he's a liar. Can I say it this way? I'm going to be real. He hates you. He's not like a cool dude, you know, like he has more fun at parties. No, the devil hates you. Actually, if the devil had his way with you, you would be anxious, depressed, so alone that you want to take your own life. You would be 
so isolated, just so obsessed with all your old mistakes. That's what he wants for you. And so what the devil, he doesn't know your future. Let me tell you right now, the devil is not omniscient, meaning he does not know all things, but he does know your past. And so if he can take your past and just replay it over and over and over in your mind again and again and again, guess what? It's going to start to weigh you down. That's why shame, it's fake. It's not real. It's a cheap tactic that he uses. And so here's what I want to tell you. The truth tonight is that all your past is actually forgiven. So why would you pay it twice? I'll say that again. All of your past is already forgiven. Why are you trying to pay it twice? You see, some of us, we feel so bad about the things we've done, the decisions we made, or the person that we are, that we feel like almost like carrying shame is our way to pay for it. Like, oh, I, I don't know if really Jesus did pay for it, yes, but I also feel like I need to carry this. And we do that. Does carrying shame make you feel any better? No. Does feeling the way you do about your life or who you are, does it actually free you from anything? Absolutely not. Jesus has already paid for all your shame. All your past is covered by him. Why would you pay it twice? Some of you are thinking, yeah, I don't even follow Jesus. (laughs) I'm not even a Christian, so I don't know. Guess what? He's paid for your sin too. He's already died for your sins. So tonight, I'm going to tell you literally my favorite story in the Bible. Oh, I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this night for months. Ever since I got the call that I might be speaking here, I knew what I wanted to speak on. Okay? So today, we're going to talk about my literal favorite story in the whole Bible. And it's about about a guy named, and his name is hard to pronounce, so we're going to practice it. Okay? Mephibosheth. Oh, oh, it's like class. Like I say it, use the Spanish class. Okay, uh, repeat after me. Mephibosheth. Oh, dang, y'all are really good. Okay, let me give some background on my dude, Mephibosheth. All right, Mephibosheth is actually a prince. Oh, must be nice. His dad is also a prince, and his grandfather is the king. Now, this is a story in the Bible, and you can read it for yourself, but I just want to kind of paint a picture for you. Mephibosheth is a young prince. At this point in the story, he's like five or six years old. Can you imagine what it would be like growing up in a castle? Ah, It would be so cool knowing that one day everything would be yours. Now, here's the bad part of the story. That one day when his dad and grandpa is off fighting in a war, he gets the worst news anyone could ever get. A servant or a messenger bursts into the castle. And what they say is, they're dead. The king... The prince, they're all dead. We've got to get out of here. Instantly, Mephibosheth finds out his dad and grandpa instantly dead. Now, in this time, whenever a new king were to usurp the throne or take over, everyone from the old regime would be killed. And so everyone in that room knew one thing, that we have got to get out of here. Because if we stick around, the new king is going to kill us all. And so the Bible actually describes this crazy moment where the castle goes to chaos. Can you imagine now finding out, we have to get out of here. I mean, people are running around, grabbing whatever they can, fleeing from the castle. And one of the nurses, in the chaos of the moment, goes and picks up Mephibosheth to try and run out and take him to safety. But in the chaos of the moment, the nurse actually trips and drops Mephibosheth on his legs. And his legs shatter. He cries out in pain. I can imagine the nurse looking and realizing, 
is really bad. This can't be reset right now. A crying young Mephibosheth picked up now, screaming, crying. They take him out, and they realize in this moment forward, he's crippled for life. In one instant, he went from a prince in the castle to a cripple in hiding. Because he knew that should the king find out where he was, that he's part of the old kingdom, that he would be killed instantly. And that's where he stays for years. In a refugee camp, hidden away, probably hood up. No one can know who he is. Can you imagine what that would do to your self-image? Almost like shame, right? I'm nothing. I'm worthless. I'm not good for anything. No one can know who I am. I have to hide. Now, here's the news that Mephibosheth did not know. And then we'll read in the Bible. Do you know who the new king actually was? His name is someone that some of us might actually know. It's King David. Do you guys know King David? Like David and Goliath? And by the way, he's a good king. As a matter of fact, King David, unbeknownst to Mephibosheth, had a best friend relationship with Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan. If he would have known how good the king was, he would have known, oh my goodness, this king will accept me. He won't kill me. He'll bring me into the kingdom. He loved my dad. They were best friends. But his lack of knowledge prevented him and kept him in captivity for so many years. Now here is where we're going to pick up the story. Let's go here. I think the verses will be on the screen. Let's read together here. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 9. The whole chapter is just this story, this beautiful picture of how God feels about shame. The king asked, that's King David, the new king now. It's been a couple of years. Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Here's what he's asking. Man, it's been so many years. Are you sure there's no one left from the old kingdom that I can show kindness to? That was my best friend, Jonathan. Are you sure that there's no one? Ziba, his right-hand man, answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. So this guy from the kingdom knew where he was. Let's go to the next verse. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Makir, son of Emil in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of Emil. Freeze. Let's stop here. Can you imagine what King David was thinking when he found out his best friend who died tragically in battle had a son? They're like, there is one. It's his son. He had a son? Are you kidding? I didn't even know. Bring him. Oh, my goodness. This is the best news ever. But from Mephibosheth, from his perspective, this is the worst news. One day, the worst thing that could have ever happened, there happened to him. One day, there he is in the refugee camp. And imagine him seeing the royal guards walking in. He can see King David's crest on their shoulder. And he knows, oh, no. And they walk up to him and say, are you Mephibosheth? He says, yeah, I am. Come with us. The king would like to see you. As they put him probably in some wheelchair or something, they're wheeling him now into the castle. Can you imagine what he would think? Like, he used to live here. This used to be his. But now it represents something so, so different. And he knows, I'm a dead man. I'm worthless. I'm nothing. And I'm as good as dead. Let's keep reading in the story. So King David had him brought. Let's go to verse 6. When Mephibosheth 
son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. Next verse. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't, don't be afraid. Now, why would he say don't be afraid? Something about Mephibosheth must have been almost quaking like, here I am, king, at your service. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Now look at what Mephibosheth has to say. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Some of you, by the way, that's what shame is doing to you. You feel like a dead dog. Like, what am I even doing here at Laurelville? What is all this? I mean, I'm singing songs. I, I wish I was a good Christian. But at the end of the day, I know who I really am. And it's not very good. If people in here knew who I was, they wouldn't like me. My youth leader wouldn't invite me. Well, God would definitely not want to do anything with me. But look at what David did. I love this. David ignores his little pity party. Here's what he says. Um, where am I? Nine. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Next verse. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him, because he can't farm for himself, and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands and his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Last two verses. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was lame in both feet. Can you imagine what it was like to be Mephibosheth in this moment. He's like, what do you want with a dead dog like me? And David's like, nah, you're eating at my table. And they take him away. And they say, come on, man, let's clean you up. You're a son of the king now. He's like, what are you, what are you talking about? Before they know it, they throw him in a bath, and this guy probably hasn't had a bath in years and they're scrubbing him off, and he's watching years of dirt from living in a refugee camp come off. And they bring out the royal barber. He's like, Mephibosheth, you looking kind of whack, bro. I'm going to give you a fresh fade. Right? Does him looking real nice. Mephibosheth's looking at himself in the mirror. He can hardly recognize himself. He's like, what is even happening? And then they wheel out a set of new clothes. And they're like, hey, Mephibosheth, what would you like to wear for dinner tonight? He's like, where? They're like, we burned your old clothes. Those things were stanky. They're burned. But you can wear any of these. Do you not like the size? We can bring you something new. What about this? What about that? And he puts on a new shirt for the first time, and it feels so soft. But before he can even process it, they're like, come on. We got to get you to dinner. And as they're wheeling him now to dinner, he can smell real food. And he's like, oh, that smells so good. And they bring him. And everyone's waiting for him. King David looks, Mephibosheth, come on, sit on down. And all of his sons and his daughters, Mephibosheth, you're our new brother now. Come on, sit with us. He sits down with a new family, brothers and sisters. And they say, hey, you're my brother. Our dads, they were 
best friends. Dad always tells a crazy story. Dad, tell a story about what you did with Mephibosheth's dad. Oh, we got in so much trouble. And he's sitting there, new clothes, new family, eating fresh food for the first time because he was restored because the king was good. And here's why I care about this story. Because that's not just a stupid story about some cripple. That's my story too. I felt like Mephibosheth. I did. I felt like I was a dead dog. Like my shame just had me in a place where I didn't belong. I was a dead dog. I was worthless. But when I met Jesus, the good king, he brought me into the family. He redeemed me. He restored me. He gave me new clothes, gave me new purpose. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why your youth leaders are doing what they're doing because it's their story too, y'all. That the king is good and he can restore what the enemy took because if Mephibosheth would have known how good the king was, he could have entered in so much sooner, but instead he lived in captivity. He sat in shame for maybe years unnecessarily because he did not understand. Listen, here's what the Bible says. Every single one of us have sinned. It's the truth, okay? Reality, we've all messed up. And the Bible teaches us that sin actually separates us from God. That there is literally a chasm between us and God. And no amount of effort, no matter how hard you try, how much you try and read your Bible, can actually get past that chasm. There's separation. And that is a real problem for every single one of us. The Bible actually teaches us that all of us deserve to be punished forever because we are not perfect. Perfection is the standard to be in relationship with a perfect God. I mean, it's not like he doesn't like us. He's just perfect. Heaven is perfect. The Bible says that he is holy, uniquely other. And so he can't be around sin. That's not who he is. And so when we, our souls are tainted, that's a big problem. And that's where the story gets good. Because that's what Jesus came to do, to solve that problem. Jesus Christ came on this earth, and he lived a perfect life. Perfect. No human has ever been able to do this. Fully God, fully man. And when he went up on that cross, guys, do you know what he was doing? He was standing in the gap for us, between perfect God and us. And as he stood on that cross, and he was murdered, he was murdered for the forgiveness of our sins. Here's what I want to tell you. You don't need to live in shame anymore. You don't need to wear that shame because Jesus Christ has taken it for us. He took on our shame. He took on our sin. He died. And listen, it's a free gift. That's the best part. Actually, that's the crazy part. You know, I was talking to a student earlier today and they were wrestling through some parts of their faith which by the way I'm proud of you for doing that by the way you don't know people don't know who you are but I do and God does and I love that you're asking good questions and here's the truth no other religion is like Christianity every other religion says you got to earn your salvation you got to work harder try more come on you can be better you can be better and the reality is we're just not good enough I mean think about it name a religion Let's talk about Islam. 
You can spend your whole life trying to be a good Muslim and you still have no assurance of salvation. There's no way for you to know if I'll actually make it. Buddhism, you, you try so hard. you got to work hard to get into a state of enlightenment. And even then, it's more effort, more effort, more effort. In Hinduism, a couple of my friends at the University of Pittsburgh are, and they were telling me how exhausting it is because you're trying so hard to build up good karma and bad karma. It's all about works, but Christianity stands distinctly different. And it says this, you can do nothing for yourself. You can do nothing, but you can accept Jesus because it's a free gift. You don't have to live in shame anymore. The king has invited you to sit at his table, and he wants to give you a new royal robe of righteousness. Two things I want you to get. Two things I want you to think about tonight as I wrap up. The first is this. Point number one, and you can put it on the screen. Christ's blood was enough for me today. It was. Sometimes I don't think we realize that he died for us, and his blood was enough for us today. When he died, he actually forgave all your past sins, all your current sins, and all the future things that you would ever do. You can be clean today and forgiven. And number two, Second thing I want you to consider. First of all, Christ's blood was enough for me today. And number two, I choose today. You can choose today to live in that freedom. Shame doesn't need to hold you anymore. You can live free. It doesn't have to direct you. And ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you this. By the way, that's not how the story ends. Yes, Jesus Christ came. Yes, he stood in the gap for us. And yes, he died a horrible death on that cross. But the Bible tells us that three days later, he rose from the dead. And listen, this isn't just a rise from the dead, and then he pieces out into heaven, and we're like, did he really? I don't know. My man was appearing to people for 40 days, eating with them, talking with them. There are so many accounts in that time of people saying, holy crap, Jesus is alive. I mean, it took over the whole city of Jerusalem. It was the craziest rumor. As a matter of fact, I want to throw this out to you. Do you know how many people died horrible deaths? And up until their final breath, they said, I saw him. He lives. They would take a sword to their throats and say, now I just need you to say, you never saw him, right? You never saw him. We're going to do something to your family. We're going to do something to you. Admit it. You made it up. He didn't rise. And they would say, I cannot say that. He is alive. That's why no one's been able to stop Christianity. That's why we're here in Laurelville today. There have been so many people that have tried to shut us up about Jesus being alive. But I'm here to tell you, he is alive and still today. And he's coming back. You can give it up for that. That's great news. So here's what I want to do for us to end. There's a tradition here at Laurelville that I love so much. And it's called 20 Minutes of Silence. Raise your hand if you've ever done this before, okay? Awesome, awesome, awesome. I, I do see that there's a lot of your first time, so I just want to break it down. Here's what I want you to do. In a moment, and I'll dismiss you, please. We still got a, we got a second or two. We're going to go out, and we're going to spend some time with Jesus. And what I want to ask you to do is I want you to consider giving your life to the Lord. It's a free gift, but you do have to say yes. You know, some of you have never spent 20 minutes in silence before, 20 minutes off your cell phone. It's kind of hard. I mean, that's a pretty long time. 
But I think there's something special when we take a moment away and we allow God to speak to us. It's going to be powerful. You know, I was reading about old church history and some things that they would do. And I, I want to give you a suggestion of maybe something that you can do here. If you're like, I don't know, what am I going to do for 20 minutes? First of all, by the way, you can just talk to him. Like, if you heard my prayers, you'd be like, are you allowed to pray like that? I think so. He hasn't yelled at me yet. I think he's fine with it. I just talk to him like, what's up? I'm mad. I'm frustrated. I'm scared. I'm nervous. Can you help me with this? What do I do with this? That's just how I talk to him. But there's something that I want to maybe ask you to consider doing. Uh, so I saw this, and I, this is what I'm going to do tonight. That there's, there's an old practice of thinking through the things that you feel like are weighing on you. The shame that we're talking about. Maybe it's a habit that you've had, sin patterns, something that you've been doing that you know you need to let go. And what I want you to do is almost extend your hand, both hands, I'm using the microphone, and really picture it. Take your time to picture it and hold it in your hands like this. By the way, if you see people doing this, they're not asking for a fist bump, so leave them alone, right? And almost picture yourself holding those things. It might even take you five minutes to talk to God about what they are. God, I feel like I need to let this go. This is holding me back. Fear is holding me back. Shame is holding me back. I need to let go of this friendship or this relationship that's not honoring you. I need to let go of this sin pattern. I need to put blockers on my cell phone. I don't know what it is. The Lord will speak to you, and I want you to feel that weight. And when you're ready, and not a second before, I want you to almost, as an illustration, release it. And then after you release it, turn your hands up and your palms up like you're ready to receive from God. You know, it would be so cool, and I'm not actually going to be walking around, but I would love to see students of Laurelville with their hands out, saying, God, I'm holding on to this. And then if I walked around, some of you are like this. God, I give it to you. Now I'm ready to receive your gift of salvation. Can you guys stand up on your feet? I want to pray for you. One last thing, just a practical thing. When I release you, I'll ask you to go in silence, just kind of out of respect for this moment, okay? Uh, and then you'll hear actually a bell, so that way you're not <laughs> praying for an hour. You know, like, we're we still going, okay. Just talking to God things, it's a little harder than I thought. So you'll, don't worry, we're not going to leave you out there. You'll hear a bell, and when you hear that bell, that's time for you to go back, and we'll go straight to cabin time. And I am so excited for you guys to share with one another what the Lord has been putting on your heart, okay? Let me just pray, and then I'll release you. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus, I thank you that shame is dead. The shame is fake news, that it's not real. It's a cheap tactic that the enemy uses. And Lord, we thank you that you took upon yourself all of our shame, all of our sin, that you died for us, and you rose again so we can be in right relationship with you. Now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you invade our hearts and our minds as we're out in the woods spending time with you. This might even be the moment you've been waiting for so you could get them one-on-one -on -one talking to you. Lord, I pray if there's any non-Christians in the room or people that don't know if this is even real, that even as they look up at the stars or the trees, they would see your majesty in the stillness of a moment like this. Lord, I pray that there would be people in this room brave enough to let go control of their life, give their all to you, and accept you into their heart.
and that they would decide today that they're following you for the rest of their lives. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Everybody said amen, amen. You guys can go inside.